Well, good morning. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's so great to be able to worship with you today, um, to be in church with you, whether you're here joining us um, in person or you're online. Um, thank you for being here with us. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, uh, beginning at verse 19. We've got a lot to cover this morning, um, not only in the message, but we have baptisms. Um, and then after the baptisms, we'll have some announcements and all as we, as we have been doing. Um, I do want to mention... Uh, before we get to those announcements, um, guys, it's that time of year, um, spring. So I see the weeds and grass starting to grow. So if you would like to join the landscape team, you can go to newpassionchurch.com forward slash serve and sign up for that. So um, that would be a great help this season. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19, we'll be there in just a moment. I'm in the CSB. Uh, if you want to follow along word for word on the YouVersion Bible app or another um, Bible app that you may utilize. Uh, as a reminder, the church at Philippi was facing persecution and um, some struggles. And so Paul um, wrote this letter that we've been in now. This is our seventh week to encourage them, but also to give them some instructions on what it looks like to live their faith out through their difficulties. Last week, we saw Paul tell the church to work out their own salvation. And what he meant by that was to take the faith that has been given to them, not that they had earned and not that they had achieved um, by some religious act, but had been given to them and to exercise it, to put it into practice, to um, put action behind that which they say they believe. He told them even more in his absence. He commended their uh, obedience um, while he was there with them. But he says, even more so now that I am leaving, I want you to um, obey. I want you to continue your obedience as I am absent from you and cannot be with you. And so he has called the church to grow in spiritual maturity. We talked about that. He didn't want them just to be dependent on him, um, but to be able to stand on their own and to live out their faith on their own. Um, part of that maturity was to do all things without grumbling and arguing. And though I just had a small portion of my message to talk about that, I believe we could have almost an entire series on that because that's vitally important even in our day today. But he said in order to do this or by doing this, it kept them pure and blameless in their current perverted and crooked generation. Um, it, it said that basically they would shine like bright stars in a very dark, wicked world. And so now as Paul continues his letter today, we're going to see that he desires to send um, someone to them personally to encourage them. And so that's where we pick up in verse 19. He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. As we've been talking about over the last several weeks, um, in these passages, there are a lot of things that are um, exclusive to what was taking place in this time. Um, there are, th this is essentially giving us a historical look at what is taking place, Paul being in prison himself, wanting to send Timothy to encourage these believers. Um, and, and really, you look at that, and th there is, um, uh, it's more historic, it's more, this is what took place. 
but there are some transferable truths that we can see in this, and there's some things that we can see as followers of Jesus ourselves that can benefit us, just in seeing how Paul went about this with the church at Philippi. And so the first thing you can write down today is this, Paul demonstrates the human need for personal interaction. Paul demonstrates the human need for personal interaction. He could have just written this letter and he um, could have just sent it to them and that would have been it. And that probably could have been helpful. It could have been beneficial, but the letter was very impersonal. Um, There's only so much that uh, you can get out of a letter. It's not face-to-face. It's not intimate. It's not that personal interaction. In fact, it can be mistaken oftentimes, tone and things like that when it's just left to a letter. I wonder, have you ever sent a text message or an email or maybe commented on a social media post and you had all well in good intentions, but because someone might not have looked at it from the perspective that you wrote it, or maybe they were in a mood themselves or whatever that situation might have been, maybe they were defensive, but they did not see the good intentions in that. They read it the wrong way um, or they heard a tone. It's funny how you can hear things through written words they heard a tone that was not intended. Has that ever happened to anybody? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I meant. Well, when that happens, that can cause chaos. It can cause division. It can um, cause uh, ill intentions where none were intended. Personal conversations, especially those where we disagree or where it may be a challenging type conversation, um, is best to be had face-to-face, in-person, with someone not in writing. Uh, you'll learn that if, you're, if you've ever been in leadership and you've had to have a tough conversation, um, it's better to sit down with someone face-to-face and have a conversation. Um, I learned early on, even in the church, as we have to have tough conversations about where we stand on biblical issues, um, it's best to sit down with someone and schedule a meeting with them and say, let's talk through this. Not that um, I'm trying to, uh, prov- you know, trying to avoid anything or anything like that, but I would rather you hear it straight from me, look me in the eye, and us have this conversation because there's some things that we're able to do when we're in person, such as we can see the compassion that someone has for um, you, or you can see that they can see that you have compassion for them. They can hear your concern. You can't hear anything through um, written word other than what you want to hear or what you feel that you are hearing through that. Um, but they can also feel that you care because there's personal interaction, there's personal touch, there can be a handshake, a hug, there, there's that intimate relationship that takes place. They can even see that you agonize over something. Maybe it's a matter of sin, and we agonize over that. But if you just write it out, if you're just online, then, then the impression could be, well, you're just preaching at me. You're just being hateful, not understanding that on the other side, you're brokenhearted and you're agonizing over this sin or over this bondage that might, uh, these people might be in or someone might be um, entangled with, and they can't see that. They can't feel that. But to sit across from you, they can see that agony. They can see that compassion. They can feel the care. And so it's better to be in person, face-to-face, than in writing. There is power in personal interaction. We're designed for relationships and in-person human interactions. You cannot live out genuine relationships through text messages, through email, and social media. 2020 taught us this. 
2020 taught us that we are not designed for online relationships. It was, it was helpful. It, it was a tool. It was a resource. But the lack of personal interaction has led to more depression and more anxiety in people than at any time in human history that's been traced and, and, and tracked, but primarily in our young people, in our children, and in our teenagers, and our young adults. And so we've learned quickly, because it's only 2023, we're coming up on the anniversary about the times governors and, and all were telling churches, hey, we don't know what's happening with this virus, we need to shut down. I think it was the second week of March that we quit having in-person services for a short period of time. And we learned just how much we long for personal interaction, just how important that was. And for that time period that kids were out of school, having to meet online, can't hang out with their friends and all of that stuff, we learned quickly that there are um, devastating consequences to not having personal relationships and interaction. Online church, I'm so grateful for those who are joining us online, for those who will watch this service afterwards. There's a benefit for that if you're sick or if you're traveling, if you're having to work, if you can't make it to service. Oftentimes, those who are serving in our children's environments have to watch the service um, later on on Sunday or throughout the week because they're serving during the service. And so there is a time and there is a place for online church, for having an online campus. But it is not intended, nor were we ever intended, to just have our church interaction to be online. You cannot do church online. You cannot share life with one another through online church. There, there is a benefit to it. There is a time and a place for it, but it is not intended to be our primary source of church. And so if you join us online, our whole hope and our whole goal is that eventually, if that's the only place that you're meeting, eventually you'll find yourself at the physical church meeting place with the physical church, which is the body of Christ. And if not here, somewhere, if you're joining us online from out of town, from out of city, then I would encourage you, as much as I love to have you tune in, tune in, but also find a local assembly that you can join together and do life with them and to share faith with them because we see in scripture that our faith is an in-person, um, personal, intimate relationship. In fact, we're designed to do life with one another in person, to participate in community. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says um, this, and let us consider one another. So, so there's a consideration of one another in order to provoke love and good works. Now, if you're joining us online right now, it's very hard for you to provoke someone in the physical to love and good works. But I can do that one-on-one. -on -one. After service, I can do that in a relationship with someone as I'm having a conversation. We can provoke one another to love and good works. Then it says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. So in this time, when Hebrews was being written, um, there was a, obviously a group of people who were neglecting the gathering together, the meeting together. They didn't have online back then. So they were just missing out. They were just skipping out. I'm not talking about every once in a while. If you have a, a job responsibility, if you're sick, we, we've got some people in the hospital right now that they're able to tune in 
Um, thankfully for the, the technology that we have, they're able to tune in and to enjoy the service and to stay right along where, where we're at. But these people weren't in that situation. They were just making a conscious choice that we're going to sleep in. We're going to go fishing. We're going to take care of the projects at home. We're going to do all of these other things rather than joining together with the household of faith. And so it says, do not neglect to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as the days grow worse and worse, as the times get more difficult, once again, the Philippians here were under persecution. They were facing difficulties. Why was it important for them to gather together? Why did Paul want to send Timothy to them? To encourage them. So church isn't just about you. Church is about the gathering together. It's about the body of believers. It's about us encouraging one another, especially when we go through difficult times. So why are we taking a portion? Why have we just restructured our entire service? Like, why are we waiting till the end of service to do announcements and offering and those type things, even though we believe offering is a time of worship just like anything else? We don't want it to just be, you know, tagged on there, but we want to take part of our service because the church is called a house of what? Worship, but also house of prayer. And so as a church, we have to be very intentional about being a house of prayer. And so why, why do we pray for one another? To encourage one another. Because as they go through difficulties, as Miss Belinda is in the hospital, as she's facing some sickness, some illness, and is facing treatment, we want to, as a church, be able to encourage her by praying for her. And so that is why we've restructured some things. That is why we gather together. Because sometimes you come in here and you don't feel like smiling. Sometimes you come in here and you've had a very difficult week. So some of you, you come in here and maybe you're coming in alone because maybe your spouse is at home or maybe you don't know where your spouse is. Or maybe you've had a very tough week dealing with your children and, and, and maybe a, a very strong-willed child or maybe you had a financial setback this week. And so you don't really feel like getting out of bed and you don't really feel like coming to church, but you come in here and you're down, you're depressed, and yet you need somebody to come alongside of you to encourage you. You need somebody to lift you up. That's what we're called to do. So I'm okay with you not coming in and putting a fake smile on. I'm okay with that because then we know who to encourage. But if everything's okay, then how can we live out the scripture? See, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20 through 24 through 25 is obeyed in community. It's obeyed in close proximity to one another, not separated by distance. Paul didn't just want Timothy to go encourage the church at Philippi. He wanted to be encouraged by him as well. Why? Because Timothy was going to come back to him, and he was going to give him a firsthand report and update of how the church was doing. So he would have been encouraged by Timothy being able to go physically be with the church, find out how they're doing, maybe provoke them to love and good works, maybe to challenge them on some things where they were falling short, but to then come back to, to Paul and to say, hey, here's what's going well. Here's how they received that, that challenge from the, the truth. Here, here's, what, here's how the church is flourishing. Here's how it's growing. Here's how they're reaching their community. Here's how they're serving the least of these. And he would have been encouraged by that firsthand news and that personal interaction. 
So verse 20 and 22 says, For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in gospel ministry like a son with a father. Paul chose Timothy because he says he has no one else who has the same mind or that had a, a, a similar or the, a, a same genuine compassion and care for the interest and the well-being of the Philippian Christians. He says, I'm sending you Timothy because I have no other. And, and I look at this and I'm like, wow, even if you just have one, you know, oftentimes we, 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 we don't, you know, we, we might not have anyone. We might not have anyone we can rely on. But, but we see here, he says, Timothy's all I've got. Timothy's the one that I can rely on. And I don't know if he's saying this in this moment because the church at Philippi knew Timothy. He had been there with him, with Paul. But this is what you can write down. The church needs reliable, high character people who genuinely love others. Amen. The church needs reliable, high character people who genuinely loves others. I wonder, are you one of these people? Could it be said that you're reliable? Could it be said that you have high character? Could it be said that you genuinely love people, especially the family of God? Like would Paul, if you were in his day, or if he were here in our day, would he look at you and would he call you by name? Or could he write a letter to one of the other churches and say, hey, I'm sending Nick because he's reliable. He's of the same mind. I, I'm going to send Nick because he is of high character. He, he, he genuinely loves you. Could he say that about me? Could he say that about you? Because that's what we see in this passage, that he's sending Timothy because he's reliable, because he's high character, because he genuinely loves the church. See, Timothy's commitment, character, and compassion set him apart. And I believe that's what he's saying here is that Timothy is like above and beyond the rest. But when we call the church to prayer, are you reliable? I'll just be honest with you. It was very disheartening when we did the bend um, just several weeks ago. And, and I understand there, there's scheduled conflicts, there, there are things, but in a church this size, 10 people showed up for prayer, for, for just a moment of prayer. Four to five o'clock, five to six o'clock, six to seven o'clock, just, just a portion of time, at the most an hour, but no requirement that you've got to clock in and clock out. We had a list of things for people to pray for, and so you could have prayed through that and, and then been done and gone. Ten people out of an entire church. And I'm not condemning you. I'm just looking at Scripture going, Timothy was the only one that Paul felt he could send to them in this moment because he was reliable, because he was of high character. And I see a scripture call, call us to be a house of what? Prayer. And we claim to be a church. And yet when we call the church to prayer, are we there? Are we reliable? And I have to say the same to me. I've been challenged over just this past week in the area of prayer. I think it's something that I heard one pastor say this, even if you feel you do it well, there is still room for improvement. Because we're called to pray what consistently at all times without ceasing. And so when I see 10 people show up, 
for, and, and this is online, other people could watch it, I, I don't care, I'm not here to give the appearance of we're a great church and be like, oh wow, they only had 10 people show up for prayer. I wonder when we call to even 21 days of prayer, we give a guide, are we doing that? And so I call us to this, not to, 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 to beat you up, but to say, we got work to do. If we want to be reliable people, if we want to be of high character, we've got work to do because we want to be reliable in the area of prayer. When we call the church to give consistently, generously, sacrificially, could it be said that we are reliable? Why? Because it's for the sake of the gospel work, to advance the kingdom of God, to, to fulfill the work of Jesus in our community and around the world. When we call the church to serve and to meet the needs of our community and the, the needs of our congregation, can it be said that you're reliable? Can we rely on you? Can we say of you that you are of the same mind, that you're of the same heart, that you're of the same motive and purpose as the church, as Jesus? When we call you to grow spiritually and relationally in community groups and in growth groups to encourage one another, as Hebrews has called us to do, can we rely on you? When Scripture calls all of us to holiness, can we rely on you to obey? You know, we've had some people get upset with leadership in the church for calling them to a standard of holiness because they wanted to be in positions of leadership and get upset because Scripture calls us to holiness. And we, as, we say this in every Exploring New Passion, if, if we can think about it, because we all covenant together in, um, in, in, uh, as a family of God. And so we go through our beliefs, our uh, core values. We go through all of that. And we say, this is who we are. And to be a part of New Passion, we have to agree on these things. But I often tell people, look, if you sign this, you, you're putting a heavier weight, not only on myself as the senior pastor of the church, but also on the elders of the church to hold you accountable to that. All through scripture, we see accountability to the things of God in the household of faith. There's things called church discipline. I know we don't like that word. Whoa. But there, it's there for a reason. Why? Because if someone's caught in a sin, we're called to restore them, not to leave them in it. Or not to just be like, well, we just won't look at that because we don't want to upset anyone or we don't want anybody to leave our congregation or whatever that might be. All the while leaving them in bondage to sin and yet we're called to love and to what provoke to love and good works, right? So we're called to restore those people and to call them out of that sin, to call them out of that lifestyle, whether they like it or not. And so when the scripture calls us to holiness, can we genuinely be said of us that we are reliable, that we are of high character, that we are people of genuine compassion. See, so, several historians don't believe Timothy was literally the only reliable um, person. Um, he was a leader among his peers. He stood out among the others. Um, they believe that Paul was kind of exaggerating here in the sense of he was a leader among peers, that he was set apart. He was far and above different than all the others. They do believe that in this time, 
there was already a large number of self-seeking people in this young movement. That's why he says in verse um, 21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So once again, not everyone when he says all, but he's giving this picture of there's this massive group of people who they're only concerned for their self-interest. They're only concerned for themselves, their schedule, their time, their finances, their comfort, their convenience, all of these things that prevent us from being reliable, from being people of high character. See, sinful hands always corrupt sacred things. Sinful hands always corrupt sacred things. God leaves us the church. Jesus is like, I'm going to leave you in charge. And look how many of us have gone astray in that. Look how many pastors have had their self-interest. How many pastors have gotten in trouble for embezzlement? How many pastors have gotten in trouble for sexual sin? How many pastors have gotten in trouble for um, spiritual abuse? How many, and we can say, well, that's why I don't want to be a part of the church. No, pastors are human just like everybody else. We can look in the business world and we can see CEOs that have done the same thing. We can look all through the world because why? Sinful hands always corrupt sacred things. Adam and Eve were in a garden in a perfect environment where they uh, had the personal face-to-face intimate where they walked in the cool of the evening as with God. I mean, they had it made. No sin. And yet they still corrupted a sacred thing. So it's no different, but this is what we see. Already in this early movement, sinful hands had corrupted a sacred thing. And so now Timothy stands out above all the rest because he genuinely loves the people, because he is reliable, because he is of high character. And I wonder, in today's 2023 church, what does that look like for us? What does it look like for a Christian to seek their own interest? Because I I can preach it, but unless you see it, unless we as a body see it, we'll never do anything different. We'll never pursue holiness. We'll never pursue being reliable. Because if we define that for ourselves, remember a few weeks ago, we talked about defining these things for ourselves. And so I wonder in your own mind what it looks like to not be reliable in the 2023 church. What it looks like to not be of high character, to not genuinely love people, to seek our own interest to give over to being conceited, as he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. What does that look like? I believe it looks like the things we just talked about, not being reliable in prayer, worship, generosity, community, forgiveness, serving, among the many other practices of the Christian faith, encouraging one another, building one another up, seeking unity in all things, doing all things. Ephesians says um, to, to do everything possible to stay united in the Spirit. I don't see us doing that. I don't see us reliable in that. It's in all things placing self above Jesus. It's in all things placing self above others. It's making the less necessary, the more necessary, when called to share our faith with the lost in our community around the world. It's making the less necessary, the more necessary when we're called to go into our local neighborhoods to invite people to church. 
like we did last year um, and we've done in, in previous years. Once again, the community blitz. Let's go make sure because we're now in a, in, in a place where people have to actually commute here. Like, Unless you live in this neighborhood right here, you have to commute here. There's not, there's not a neighborhood around. When we were in the high school in Grovetown, like there was houses all around. So we got a lot of foot traffic because as people move in, as they're looking for a church, they see our banners, our signs. We used to have a 24-foot box truck that we had a sign put on until it broke down in the school parking lot. That was fun. In the middle of the driveway, we had to tow it with, uh, with pickup trucks. Um, but, but people would see that, and so if they, they'd come and visit. But now, you have to be intentional. So, hey, let's go into our neighborhoods and just give a card out. Just to say, hey, we're New Passion Church, we're right here, we're people of the second chance, and we believe that God specializes in new beginnings. We, you know, if you're looking for a church, if you're not part of a church home, we'd love to have you visit. That's it. Simple. Had one family show up out of a whole month of going out beyond two of our staff members, or I'm the, I'm the second staff member. <laughs> Are we reliable? Are we of high character? Can it genuinely be said that we put Jesus and our neighbors above ourselves, above our comfort? I, I'm not beating anybody up. I'm just saying, if we're genuinely going to be the church, we've got some work to do. We we got some repentant, repenting to do. Go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Go into Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria. Go into all the world and make disciples. And I just wonder if we can't go give an a invitation card, are we actually going and sharing the gospel? If we're embarrassed to give out a, a, a card for visitation... Are we genuinely facing the pressure of being rejected and sitting down with someone and sharing our faith story with them and sharing with them how they can come to faith in Jesus? I wonder if we just chose to be different. If we just chose to seek the interest of Jesus rather than our own. If we would just seek the interest of our community and our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates more than our own. What could be different? What could change in our community? What could change in our world? What could change in our churches? What would be different? Back several years ago, part of our theme for a year was to be different to make a difference. To be different to make a difference. If we're going to make a difference in our community, if we're going to make a difference in our world, then we have to choose to do things differently. Not the status quo of our current culture and society, not the, current, the status quo of um, any other church as it might be, but to look to Scripture. I say this all the time. If we're going to disagree, if you're going to disagree with me this morning, if you're going to be upset with me this morning, be like, man, he's being mean today. I'm not being mean. But if you choose to think that, then you have to do so based on Scripture. Because Scripture is our final authority in faith and in practice. So what we believe and how we live it out, how we exercise it. So if we're going to disagree, we've got to do it on Scripture. And I am open and willing for us to sit down face-to-face -face intimately and have a conversation where we can justify what we are seeing in our current churches of apathy 
and separation and division and unforgiveness and um, disconnected and all of those things we've talked about even this morning to go, where is it in Scripture? Show it to me where that is what we're called to do, where we're called to keep our faith personal and silent and not share it with the world. I would love to sit down and have that conversation because if I'm wrong, then I have to align my heart and my life with Scripture. So if you can show me in Scripture where it's wrong, then I need to change. But if you can't, then you might need to change. We, as a, as a church, might need to change. Philippians 2, 25 through 30 goes on, and it says, But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am eager, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious." Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Think about how different Timothy must have been. I mean, Paul here speaks well of Epaphroditus. I'm getting that right. He spoke very well of him. In fact, he's going to send him to the church at Philippi. So that's why when he says, look, I have no other of like-minded and, and, and no other like Timothy. He's just setting Timothy apart. He's just saying Timothy's a leader among peers, that, that he is an example. Yet he's sending Epaphroditus um, to encourage the body. He was obviously a man of genuine love for the Philippians because Paul wrote, he has been longing for all of you. There's a longing there to be there, that intimate personal relationship face to face. And he was distressed because he had heard, because you had heard he was sick. He wanted them to know I'm okay. He wanted them to be able to see him face to face to see what God had done in his health. Paul could rely on him enough to send him to Philippi. So he was a good man. He was a faithful man. The church needs reliable, high character people who genuinely love others. We see that in Timothy. We see that in Epaphroditus. And I wonder, will you be one of those people. Will you be one of those people who would be considered reliable and high character with genuine love for others? Epaphroditus almost died in his Christian work. Paul wrote, however, God had mercy on him and not only him, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. See, Christians aren't just designed for intimate in-person relationships, but God is intimate and merciful. You can write that down. God is intimate and merciful. See, we have to be careful not to place God in our own boxes. Some people act like God is kind of disconnected and not intimately involved with his people today, but Paul tells us differently. He said God had mercy on Epaphroditus but by sparing his life, but he also had mercy on him as a personal benefit. In fact, he uses the word, so that... So there was intention in God showing mercy to Epaphroditus. And that so that, the purpose of that, was as a personal benefit to Paul. And so 
It says, so that he wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. God knew what Paul's need was. And intimately and out of love and mercy, he spares Epaphroditus so that Paul would not have to deal with additional grief and suffering as he's now in prison, as he's lost so much. And so we see this intimate God who cares about us. He's intimately involved in our life. He's not just up here like, all right, well, whatever happens, happens. This is going to be fun. Let me get some popcorn out and watch. No. If he loved you enough to send his only begotten son to die on the cross to be the payment uh, for your sins so that he might raise to new life, so that you might have life. He doesn't just take his hands off of you. In fact, the Bible says that we are in his hands and that nobody can take us out. You remember the, the song growing up, he's got the whole world in his hands? You're in his hands. He knows your needs. He loves you. He cares about you. He is merciful towards you. And then the final two verses says, Therefore, and those getting baptized can go um, uh, get changed and get ready. Verse 29 and 30 says, Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the, for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. And I hate that this ended in the final minutes of the sermon, but the last thing you can write down is this, the work of the gospel is worthy of our whole life. The work of the gospel is worthy of our whole life. This gospel that has not only saved you, but you have been called to in going and making disciples and going into Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria and the uttermost places of the earth to go into the highways and the hedges and to compel them to come in. This gospel work that you have been called to is worthy of your life. It's worthy of your schedule. It's worthy of your inconvenience. It's worthy of your, even the, the shame you might feel or the embarrassment you might feel because someone rejects you. But it's also worthy of your life to the place that Epaphroditus was willing to die, to get sick, to face suffering in order for the gospel to be lived out of his life. And that's why we pray for the persecuted church and for persecuted Christians. Because the gospel is worth, they, they have come to the place where they say, I choose Jesus, even if it means being beheaded. I choose Jesus, even if it means being um, subject to a firing squad. I choose Jesus, even if it means being thrown in prison and starved to death. I choose Jesus, even if it means the death of my life. The gospel is worthy of my life. And as I see this, he says, because of that, he is worthy of honor. And I, I just wonder, because part of the, this work that we're called to requires risk. He was willing to risk his life in order to make up for the Philippian church's own shortcomings. That's what he says, that what was lacking in your ministry to me. We don't know what that was. Maybe it was just a shortcoming because of maybe they, the, the limits they had. Maybe it was intentional not engaging and being disconnected from the work that they were supposed to be doing. We don't know, but there was a lack. There was a gap there. There was stuff supposed to be happening, and Epaphroditus filled the gap to the place that it almost cost him his life. That's how he esteemed others. That's how he esteemed the gospel work. I'm willing to give my life for it. 
And I just wonder for us as a church, because I see it all the time, people fear and avoid risk. We want to play it safe. We want to play it comfortable. We want to be out here where, where we can kind of control things. We don't want to be on the, the edge of things because we might fall off. We might get hurt. We might lose our life. I'm not willing to, to risk my life. I'm not willing to risk my finances. I'm not willing to risk my children. I'm not willing to risk my reputation. I'm not willing to risk anything. I want to play it safe. I, I want to stay where uh, um, there, there is no fear. And yet we don't see that in Scripture. You won't see that anywhere in the New Testament. And so Epaphroditus almost died for the gospel service of others. And I just wonder, is the modern church, is New Passion Church, willing to take risk for the sake of the gospel? Like, what are we willing not to risk? What are we holding on to? One, one of the things that drove me crazy growing up in a pastor's home and my dad being a supply pastor this is why I planted a church, by the way. I'll just tell you, I told my dad years ago, I could not go into an established church. It would be the death of me. That's just not how God's wired me. And my dad has died many deaths for the sake of churches stuck in tradition, churches that just want to maintain their few, maintain the, 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 the families that have been there for years. And, and so he's died that death. He's, he, he's in a church right now that's well-established, and he's bivocational, doing what he can, working a full-time job, doing what he can to give his life for the gospel, trying to provoke others to good works. And yet, the reason I started a church, because I couldn't die those deaths. Like we're, we're, we're going to start a church because there was a need for a church, but we're also going to set the DNA. And that DNA is we're called and we're mobilized. There's no spectators allowed. We're going to live for the gospel. And I have no shame in calling you to that because I benefit nothing from it. You living for Jesus doesn't benefit me one ounce, but it benefits the kingdom. When you go to work and you share Jesus, it doesn't benefit me. So what I'm calling you to, has nothing, there's no selfish ambition in this because I benefit nothing from it. When I started this church, the church couldn't pay me a dime. I was working full time. And if I had to do that today, that's what I would do because that's what I'm called to do. I don't do it for a paycheck. It's nice to have a paycheck. My family appreciates it. But I wasn't called to plant this church for a paycheck. I worked a 50-hour-a-week job while starting a brand-new church when we started this church. I was bivocational for six years. I'm not doing this for personal benefit. I'll do this till the day I die, with a, with a stage, with a building, or without. I'll go wherever God calls me to go. I'll do whatever He calls me to do. Why? Because I see in the Scripture that the gospel is worth my whole life. It is worth taking a risk. It is worth living on the edge. It's worth looking in the face of fear and still choosing to make the right choice and live by faith. And so all I'm doing is calling you to the same thing that I might be crazy enough to say, you know what, this is going to be the mark of my life. And so I wonder, are you reliable? Are you of high character? Do you have genuine compassion and love for people? Can I count on you as your pastor? Can our church count on you as being a part of this family 
to encourage and to build up and to do the things that God has called us to do. These are just a few marks that we've been called to. And I wonder today, as we close out with that, would you choose, would you make a decision today that that will be the marker of your life? You might look crazy to your family. You might look crazy to your coworkers. But you'll, that's, that's really the only places that you'll look crazy because according to scripture, you'll look reliable to Jesus. You'll look like high character to Jesus. You'll look faithful to Jesus. And I'm not worthy of your faithfulness. Our elders are not worthy of your faithfulness. Our leaders are not worthy of your faithfulness, but Jesus is. And so today I'm not calling you anything unto Nick Carnes. I'm calling you unto Jesus Christ to be reliable, to be of high character, and to be a person of genuine character. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of these godly men. Timothy, who was far above all the rest, Lord, we can look in Scripture over and over and see his character and to see what a, just a hungry disciple he was of Paul's, how faithful of a disciple he was of Paul's. And then to see Epaphroditus, who was willing to lay down his life to even die for the sake of the church, to pick up their slack, not to complain, not to whine, but to simply stand in the gap. And God, I thank you for their example. I thank you that they, from 2,000 years ago, can be a challenge to us to see that we need to be involved in intimate, face-to-face, in-person relationships to encourage one another, that we need to be reliable so that you might use us. You choose to use us, sinful, wicked people, and yet you call us into this work and into this ministry. May we be reliable in areas of prayer, and worship, and giving, and serving, community, sharing the gospel, forgiving, living holy. May we be found consistently reliable in those things. Lord, where we've fallen short, may you bring us to a place of repentance. May you break us. May you remove our pride. May you remove our selfishness and our conceit that we might humbly come back to you with open hands, willing to do whatever, whatever you call us to do. We love you. Most importantly, we thank you that you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.